You're listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, a production of the Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Link. And today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about an area that is just experiencing explosive growth and something that, you know, really can can impact our entire energy system going forward. We're going to talk a little bit about energy storage, and this has really changed The conversation around energy storage has changed dramatically just in the last five years. And um, I was looking at this new um, GTM research today, energy storage report, and they're estimating that energy storage annual deployments are going to reach two and a half gigawatts in just five years by 2022. And to put that in context, right, right now we have about 231 megawatts. So we're talking about an 11 times uh, increase in the capacity of energy storage that's being deployed around the country. Um, and that's, that, that's cumulative, right? That's not annual. So we go from two, annual deployments. Some, annual deployments. Reach two and a half gigawatts by 2022. Wow. Which is just, it's remarkable. And it really points to a shift in how we design and manage energy systems around the country. And it's an issue that legislatures more and more are starting to need to address. Yeah, you know, it's we should probably we should talk about the technology. I think we should start start there and then talk about policy, which um, if we're if we're expert in any of this, I guess it's it's policy, but we should probably distinguish uh, among the, the different technology types, right? Because storage is a pretty broad uh, topic. It's like saying, you know, car, and there are various types of cars here. So, you know, there are mechanical storage technologies that have been around, I think, for quite a while. Uh, pumped hydro, for example, which is a type of mechanical storage. That's where you're pumping hydro or uh, pumping water from a, a lower basin to a higher basin when energy is in excess and it's cheap. And then you're running it back through a, um, a, a turbine a turbine unit uh, when you uh, want that energy. Uh, that's a form of storage. You've got compressed air, sometimes referred to as compressed air energy storage, or K's. Um, that's using uh, geologic features like, uh, I think like salt domes and other, uh, uh, other features that uh, can trap air using compressed air to, again, to store, uh, store it as a form of energy off peak. Um, you've got flywheels. Flywheels, uh, flow batteries, lead-acid batteries. There's a whole bunch of different kinds of technologies, but really lithium-ion makes up uh, the majority of the new deployments, and it, they right now have about 94% share, according to this, according to this uh, report. Um, so that, those would be electrochemical storage, right? The, the batteries, and yeah. you know, probably most people are familiar with the lead-acid battery that's in their car. Lithium ions, a different technology. It's got different characteristics. There's also sodium sulfur, and you mentioned flow batteries, which are, uh, you know, large um, containers of electrochemical fluids that are capable of deeper cycling and going. Um, again, have different characteristics. So, but they're all different, right? That's what's so interesting to me. That yeah. you know, you've got some types of batteries that are designed to store energy for very short periods of time, and others that are designed to to store energy in, in different forms for, and be able for to longer deliver, periods of time. Yeah, be able to deliver across longer periods. And, yeah. and I think, you know, one of the 
Uh, I think really great reports that came out this year was Charging Ahead, and this was done by the organization IREC. And, um, Interstate Renewable Energy Council. Yeah, they came, that came we'll out put it on the website. in April 2017. Yeah, we'll have a link for that. Um, but one of the th- key things that they identify in this you know, policy guide, or a guide for policymakers, I think they call it, is first identify what it is you're trying to what it is you're trying to do with energy storage. Are you trying to provide you know ancillary services, or sometimes called to the utility, where you're where you're um, you know re- providing voltage regulation services and things like that? Are you trying to just meet um, a, a a fast uh, response for while you're ramping up some other form of, of uh, energy generation, or are you trying to use it as a backup power supply over a certain period of time? Like, what is it you're trying to do yeah, right. with the with your energy storage legislation, and then really target um, target your legislation towards uh, you know achieving those objectives? Yeah, I, th- I I think that's a really important point to make. I think it's. Uh, you talk about storage. I mean, who would be against uh, you know modernizing the grid? And and I think this is a this is one of those technologies that really makes the the grid as we know it work better, right? I mean, it has the capability of integrating other uh, forms of energy, but it really is you know as we as we learn more about it, this whole ancillary service, this uh, stacked benefits as they're called of of, of various mm-hmm. value streams and how to capture them. You really sort of how did someone refer to it at our academy that it's sort of the bacon. Uh, it goes with everything, uh, energy storage. <laughs> um, we should also do, I, I, I want to talk about one more thing on the sort of technical side and then talk about policy. Yeah. And that's how these things are rated. Right. Right. It's right. an important little math, math test here, right? So, because you might see batteries rated in terms of megawatts, a nameplate power capacity, and you may see a battery um, or any storage device, I guess I should say, rated in terms of energy or megawatt hours or kilowatt right. hours. And so you kind of you need both numbers, I guess is the best right. way that I would describe it to understand um, to understand the resource. So for example, I believe Oregon has set a five megawatt hour, correct me if I'm wrong on that, a five megawatt hour procurement mandate. We'll come back to that. Um, it, and that's that's part of that's part of the the number you need to know. But an easy example, uh, and this would be a very a relatively large battery, um, a two megawatt battery nameplate that can run uh, that is also an eight megawatt hour battery could essentially run at peak capacity two megawatts for four hours. Right. So I'm just dividing two megawatts into eight megawatt hours, and you drop the hours in that. Um, in that division and you get four hours, Yeah. right? So it's a, it can be a little bit confusing and it's important to kind of go back to that as a touchstone. You'll, and I think similarly, you'll hear both. Similarly, you could run it at one megawatt for eight hours. Or, you know, so there's, there, but there is the, the issue of, you know, running, what is, your, what is your, your maximum capacity that you can deliver in terms of energy, which is very important to the system, and then for how long can you deliver that maximum capacity? Yeah. That's, that's, that's really what we're talking about um, when, when you talk about you know, megawatts versus megawatt hours. But it, really, it goes with what you're saying about what are we trying to accomplish here? What are the, um, 
what are the benefits we're trying to bring to the grid with storage? And that means we have to talk about technology types, and we have to talk about rate of capacities, and we have to exactly. we have to really understand that. And that's really, you know, I mean, that's there are so many different facets of energy storage, and that's one of them. Uh, one of the other pieces that you know a lot of people don't really think about is that it can uh, energy storage can both manage when your power is 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 uh, being delivered or, or being delivered to the grid or, or when your demand is required from the grid. So, for example, if you're looking at a um, a, a demand curve, you know, so when when uh, power is required from the grid based on, you know, when people are using power, you have these little peaks and valleys. And what you can do with energy storage is you can you can fill fill in some of the peaks with energy storage, which means you don't need to get as much generation from the grid. And that, that lowers your overall generation requirement that you need from the grid because you're going to basically be shifting uh, when you get that power and when you deliver it to the customer. Yeah. Um, and so that load shifting can really be incredibly beneficial to the entire rate base because what um, a utility will do is they'll, they'll figure to build enough generation to meet those peaks. And you may need to meet those peaks for a very short period of time. Um, but that's very costly generation for, for a utility to build. And of course, the costs of that generation are passed along to uh, all of the ratepayers. But if you can use storage to reduce those peaks, then all of a sudden you don't need to build quite as much generation. Yeah, I, I, was, I was flipping to, and this, this is a really great IREC report. Um, there's a chart in here that shows the, the state of charge analysis, as it was referred to, that was done in Massachusetts by the Department of Energy Resources. And they looked at the costs and the benefits, and fully half of the benefits, and I think I'm reading this correctly, that this is, um, this is over $2 billion. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading that chart correctly, but it's in the billions of dollars in, in benefits. Um, fully half are uh, deferred peak capacities. You were right. talking about the reduced peak capacity. And then you get into other things like deferring transmission and distribution um, and, uh, and other ancillary services like Volt and VAR and Momentum and other... Um, Integrating other, distributed resources. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. That, that, but that gets to the, um, the sort of stacked benefits or the stack of benefits because there are a variety of things that these technologies can do that go beyond just supplying... Kilowatt hours and that really brings kilowatt. us to you know if we're talking about policy development, what you know where are there where are there some gaps in in um, our policies to to correctly um, quantify the benefits of energy storage within our system? Um, you know, oftentimes all of those benefits aren't being quantified when they're being evaluated if they're being evaluated by a public utilities commission. So. What um, legislatures have done in a few states is to say um, that utility commissions or utilities need to propose what, uh, what quote-unquote non-wires alternatives might be. That is, you know, energy storage, distributed generation, things that don't require building big transmission or taking up a lot of transmission capacity that can be placed in various different uh, places around the system and the value of the benefit that they can deliver. And as you were saying, 
with things like energy storage, you have these stacked benefits because it can be working on the demand side, it can be working on the supply side, it can be working from a, a system perspective in terms of benefits. So you can quantify all of those benefits as you're evaluating uh, whether or not that's a good investment for the utility to make within their integrated resource plan. Yeah, right. It, it, we should we should disclose that I think, what is it, 25 or 28 states, I believe it's 25, actually do integrated resource planning, right? And that tends to be the... Um, the the structured, uh, vertically integrated markets, um, and and that is a pathway. There, are, I think there are a lot. I think that's maybe the theme, Tom. If we could have a theme of this, is that there are a lot of different ways to consider storage in energy policy development, and one of them is clearly through the integrated resource planning process. Um, Missouri has done this. Oregon has done this. Hawaii has done this. Of course, California has a, a significant energy storage standard. They are doing it. Um, where they are factoring in storage as a new resource in the utility integrated resource planning process. It doesn't sound revolutionary, uh, but it, but just it really simply, is. It really well, is. Well, just simply yeah. considering storage as a as an approvable and recoverable technology. Yeah. you know, I think is a big part of this. But I think the key is if you're going to have it as an approvable technology that you're actually evaluating it and recognizing the various different benefits. So for example, um, in Oregon, they identified five key storage value streams. So the first was energy shifting or arbitrage. That's what we were talking about right. a little bit ago. Ancillary services, you were mentioning voltage and power uh, support. Avoided renewable curtailment. This is becoming a big issue mm -hmm. um, in a number of places where you've got, for example, um, you may have wind generation at night when you don't have uh, when you don't have a great demand in the middle of the night, and you would otherwise need to just curtail that that generation. Well, here you can or, or pay negative prices or to pay get negative it. prices. Um, or uh, on the other on the other side, you know, in places where, uh, like for example, California, where you have high penetration of solar, there may be points during the day when you're you're producing more solar than you have demand for, and then you have to curtail the, the power from that solar generation. Um, storage offers an opportunity to actually save that power and deliver it at a different time when you need it. So uh, avoided, avoided renewable curtailment is the third. Uh, fourth is system peak or capacity value, system peaking or capacity value. And five is locational value. And this is a really important issue that also points to another thing that a number of states have been doing, which is to instruct their utilities to develop uh, distribution plans or you know, do some integrated distribution planning, which really identifies where there, are, um, where there are capacity constraints within their distribution system, where there are uh, real challenges within the distribution system that things like distributed generation or energy storage might be able to address. Yeah, and I think California really, again, has been the, the leader there. Uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, um, uh, for example, is uh, you know publishing um, uh, uh, maps of grid constraint right down to the, the neighborhood level. So that, that geographic benefit, right, it, it's more valuable over here than it is over there. I think that's a really key and innovative piece that we're going to start to see more of. I hope we start to see more of that on the demand side management side too and on the distributed generation side that there are geographic 
there are geographically strategic places to put resources all over the place. But, right. But do we know where they are? Right. And are the utilities incentivized to do that? And, and are we the third are party we market? Also, are we extending those incentives? Mm-hmm. Um, are we doing it just as a blanket incentive across the entire system, or are we identifying that at certain places in the system it's actually of greater value? And so you you would modify your incentive in those areas to try and really drive investment uh, in those distributed systems in the places yeah. where it's going to provide the greatest value to the grid. I think that's yeah. I think that's maybe the next generation of of evolution of incentives. Uh, for, for all these technologies. Oh, I do too, and I think it gets to what we've been talking about, these different value streams, right? You can calculate the, the stack, the stacked benefits, the various types of benefits, but unless there is a pathway to um, being paid for those services, um, you know, d- vendors are not going to do this for free, right? So unless there is a pathway for... Um, a volt var, just pick on that ancillary service, you know, for as an example. Unless there's a way to quantify that value, and and pay a third party or pay a utility or pay some integrator of storage for that value, then we're probably not going to see those services proliferate, right? So there has to be not only an assessment of the value, but then a way to pay for those those services. Right. Right. Um, and, and and that's somewhat intuitive, but I think really calculating calculating them, who sets the value, how much, uh, who gets paid, and how, and all of those things. I think they're that's where this gets quite complicated. Quite and quickly. and I think that you know when we look at the role of the legislature, um, obviously you don't want the legislature making those specific determinations, but instructing the commissions in the states to embark on that kind of an analysis and to develop yeah. those kinds of policies, I think is very much within the purview of the state legislatures. You know, there's there's a few different foundational policies that um, IREC identifies in this Guide for Policymakers on Energy Storage. First one, it, it's uh, it's kind of maybe maybe a little bit pedestrian, but it's a, it's, it's a real issue, and that is how is... How is it defined? How is energy storage defined? And, and particularly in those states where you've got uh, deregulated states and perhaps utilities aren't allowed to own generation as a, as a matter of course. Right. Uh, and, you know, oftentimes uh, energy storage is defined as a generation resource where it's actually not. It's a, it's a storage as a system resource and it's one of those things that uh, you know might have to be defined within state legislation that it's not specifically it's not a generation resource and therefore it's something that utilities are approved of to invest in and, yeah, so, and to get return on so could I just call that give it a home give it a home give it a home give it a home uh, the distribution planning that we talked about that's another uh, key component um, and, and really, that's a key. That's a key element for evaluating all non-wires alternatives. Energy storage being one of them, but also distributed resources, uh, and and um, demand response things of these nature of that nature are going to have different values in different places across the system. And unless you identify what those values are or where those places are uh, on the system, you have no way of really establishing those values. So wait, there's classification and ownership. Give it a home. Yep. Define it, define where it belongs in in state planning. Right. right? Then there's planning, and you're talking about distributed, uh, integrated distribution system planning, and and 
and to your point, integrated distribution system planning goes well beyond storage. There's a lot of different things. Right. Another one's access. Just the access accessing to the, grid. the grid. So interconnection and net metering. Right. So having having you know streamlined interconnection standards, and there are you know some standards that are available out there that uh, that commissions can adopt that really just are you know baseline. You know if you meet all these uh, qualifications, you have a streamlined process for interconnecting to the grid. That's really uh, critical as well. Does I'm not sure if freeing the grid is something that's still being updated, but is, is freeing the grid something that looks at the um, interconnection and net metering for storage? Is that a resource? You know, I, I'm trying to remember if freeing the grid, they kind of stopped updating that page uh, back in, I think, 2015 was maybe the last oh, okay. the last rating that they had, and I'm not sure if storage was even a component of that. But these these types of interconnection standards are. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. So, so. So that might be a resource, and that's a really, that's a really easy resource to use in identifying. They they score states according to their net metering and their interconnection standards, and you can see a really quick, you know, a summary of what the standard is for each state with yeah. an interactive map. And so we need to check that out and see if see if storage is somehow included in that or whether that's being updated. Yeah. You know. And then an, another thing that's. Um, you know, it's it's a much larger issue, but really goes to capturing the value of storage, particularly behind the meter storage, is a modernized grid. Um, you know, so we've talked a, a bit about grid modernization, advanced metering technologies, um, you know, data uh, manipulation, data privacy, data ownership, uh, permission. Um, uh, the the uh, green button connect and green button download all these various different things allow they they also allow for utility commissions to adopt um, advanced rate design and that could be you know time of use it could be critical peak pricing it could be you know all sorts of different pieces within the rate structure that are enabled through a modern grid and energy storage has a huge uh, value in delivering those services at the time when the grid needs it, as as was being reflected through these kinds of rate structures. Uh, I see you're making an important point. I think because we, we've been talking about storage, for, you know, on the um, in front of the meter on the on the grid side, right, or on the the utility side, I should say. But there are also clear benefits on the consumer side of the meter here, right? If it's in, it could become advantageous from a rate design perspective, I think about demand charges. Yeah, I think more about commercial and industrial customers. I yeah. guess right that that tend to pay higher demand charges. They maybe have a ratchet on their demand charge. Uh, uh, they they pay some sort of a seasonal peak or annual peak where it really does make sense to have some on-site battery storage to just cut down that peak. You know, whenever that occurs, and really really dispatch it. But I think we're... And even on the residential side, yeah, particularly if you have, um, you know, things like, you know, off-peak pricing that might be something like on the order of three to five cents a kilowatt hour and critical peak pricing that might be 25 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm -hmm. If you have the ability to, you know, fill up your battery at five cents a kilowatt hour and then deliver power back to the grid at 25 cents a kilowatt hour, you can actually engage in this kind of arbitrage that provides a value to the 
customer for their investment. So is that kind of arbitrage? Is that is that allowed under current rules? I mean, do we do we know if there are any states that do not allow that kind of energy arbitrage through on-site storage? Well, I think for for most states, it's kind of a moot issue because they don't have the level of grid modernization and, and they don't have the pricing and, and pricing that right. is enabled by that in order to in order to really fully take advantage of that. But I think if you look at the direction that uh, you know utility rate making is moving, it's moving more towards that digital era where you do have the ability to actually put a price on power that's very reflective of the market. Yeah. So we had four key policy areas. Give it a home, classify it, give it a definition. Two, planning, integrated distribution system planning. Three, grid access, net metering and interconnection. We're going to look into the freeing the grid report. And four, value stream, assess the value, the, the stack benefits, and then, and then not only assess the value, but assign value, I guess, um, to... To, to the entity providing that service. And you know, a first step that um, states might want to take if they're not you know, to the point where they can do all these things is to instruct their commissions to open an investigatory docket. Start looking at um, what best practices are uh, around the country for integrating energy storage. Um, you know, we're seeing the prices in, in storage drop dramatically. I, I think just really a few years ago, the idea of investing in lithium-ion, you know, battery storage technology as an alternative to generation was kind of a pipe dream because it was just so expensive, mm-hmm. you know. And now the prices have come down so far and they're continuing to drop uh, that it's actually becoming a, a very competitive resource. And in some places around the country where your rates are actually higher, it it already is a, a very cost-competitive resource. We may have it somewhere in front of us here, but there's a Bloomberg New Energy Finance graph that shows how the the learning curve, the cost curve of lithium-ion batteries continues to be projection after projection. And that's clearly having an impact on the electric vehicle um, uh, market. Yep. We've been talking mostly about... Um, utility. About utility and, and consumer applications, but clearly, you know, a lot of this has... Uh, a lot of this, the cost curves are being pushed by innovation in, um, in electric vehicles. And so, and so the rest of the uh, value chain is going to benefit from that. So in summary, Jeff Lane, energy Boy, wow, storage. Wow, wrapped up really quickly. Energy storage, it's the bacon. <laughs> it goes with everything. Um, there are a variety of technologies. We have to be clear about how we're talking about it. Remember both power and energy, megawatts and and megawatt hours. Uh, There are four key components to policies and states have approached this in a variety of ways uh, with procurement mandates or studies to assess the value or making sure it's an enabled technology from a, a grid access standpoint or requiring commissions to consider it in their IRPs. A lot of different pathways here. And as we know from energy policy, you know, it's, often requires a number of different policies to be stacked on one another, right? The policy stacking framework to really build a robust market. And the costs are coming down rapidly, and we're going to see a lot more energy storage. See a lot uh, more energy storage. Uh, Yeah, that GTM research 
uh, study estimated it'll be a $3.1 billion market just in five years, which wow. is a remarkable thing. So that's Energy Storage. You've been listening to the Energy Policy Podcast, podcast here at the uh, Center for the New Energy Economy at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Tom Plant. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Ling. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.